All right, come with you. Give me a countdown. All right. Okay. Yeah, I did it right. Oh, my God. I was stressing about that one. Yeah. <laughs> this is nice to high. It's a little fast. Oh, Your no. button is <laughs> Yeah. No, you got to do it fast. Although that way people can't really calculate it with yeah, you. Yeah, I know. I know. I was like, <laughs> I have to do it a little bit fast. <laughs> so everybody, welcome to another episode of Absolute Focus. Um, we have a really cool guest with us today. But before we get into that, let me just talk about something. Okay. When you make music with somebody, <laughs> it's a very intimate relationship. Yeah. You're sharing emotions, feelings, right? You're giving each other looks. Basically, like when to stop your tihai. Um, yeah, and turn you off. <laughs> and so we're husband and wife, and it's like yeah, yeah. it's a pretty. A lot of people like will you'll be giving a signal signal to like hey finish your tihai up, but people will be like oh they're so in love. Yeah. <laughs> um, but today, you're cheating on me. No, I'm sorry. You're having a tabla affair. <laughs> With our guest? <laughs> it's a Raga affair. I can't, I can't believe I invited him into my house. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> the disrespect. I'm sitting here. We're going to have to have a You're double right fight. right here. I know you have to fight, fight for, for my honor. Fight for your honor. <laughs> That's right. That's right. After the concert, though. You know. Well, all jokes aside, we have a really awesome guest. You do. He's, like, <laughs> such a genuine person. Um, we haven't, we're, we're meeting him for the first time today, but... Yep. We've known about each other for quite a while. We yeah. have like a lot of mutual friends. Yeah. Um, and he's an amazing percussionist. We're going to get into like his whole story. Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody welcome, Samir Gupta. Yeah. Thank you. Thank All you. All from yeah. NYC. I know, man. Yeah. I think this is the furthest away we've ever get from. Yeah. Well, thanks, Justin Colonti. It's really nice to be here. You guys have an awesome show. I'm so psyched to be here. <laughs> well, thanks for being yeah, on. Thanks, man. And uh, taking away time from your Disneyland trip. Know, <laughs> the Disneyland trip had to happen. Yeah. Um, but I was surprised that they didn't have like a more awesome Desi Indian section, like with Aladdin, Jasmine, like Indian oh, food, really? like, you, so, yeah. you know, like Bon, like, you oh. know, like really like go in there, like chai, like proper, you know, oh, that's um, a, and like a I henna thought they station. Liked their area. I thought they liked their detail. Perhaps not. Yeah. So get this. This is like, uh, I mean, this is not, uh, it's just, it just reminded me of what you like, um, some, some corporate agency, and I don't know how they found us. They reach out to us and they're like, there's a, the, a giant theme park in Orlando. Oh, yeah. And they want, <laughs> they, they have a new exhibit that they're releasing and it's like an international theme. And they want uh, musicians to play five shows a day. Okay. And it's one of those kind of gigs. Over yeah. the course of three months. And then I was like, I don't want to play the same music. And they're like, no, you have full creative control. It's up to you. Wow. And it's like five 15-minute shows a day. Right. And they're going to give you like, you know, a full apartment, a car, crazy money, all that stuff. And they're like, send us, you know, all your pictures, bio, all blah, that blah, stuff. Blah, blah, Yeah. Clips and all that. And I was like, okay, I don't know how we're going to do this, but like, I'm Might sure my well. three-year-old will love, this is when Bismarck was three. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, she'll love that we live at Disneyland. <laughs> right. Or Disney World. Yeah. And well, we didn't know that at that point. I think, yeah. So as the, we kept going through these rounds. Like, they're like, okay, yeah, they've narrowed it down. And, like, oh, and by the way, now it's Disney World, right? Um, we can show you yeah, our cars. Yeah, we can show you and all that. And so we keep going. This over the course of a month, we keep narrowing it down. They're like, it's down to two. And then we ended up losing. 
Oh. And I was like, oh, who'd we lose to? Like, wh- who are the other guys? Well, I, might, I may even know them because we're all in the same music yeah. world family. We thought it would be all Indian. They're like, oh, it was this like eight person trapeze. Trapeze artist group. Trapeze artist group. Like, what? what? I was like, why was a Santur and Tabla in the running? <laughs> in the same competition. Imagine if Indian like music festival competitions were like that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Where you have like the Tabla players competing with like the Bharatanatyam like makeup yeah. artist. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how it was. <laughs> and we were just so shocked. What? Like, how is this? Oh man, what a yeah. bummer. <laughs> I to it be honest, I think best. it would have been. It would have been really It would have been insane. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. I mean, seeing those bands at Disneyland, I was like thinking to myself, like, this is like a salad. This is like working for an orchestra. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have like probably good job security and all those yeah. things. So I think it's like sometimes it's a different kind of thing. Like, I think that for a lot of us, like we start out just playing music independently. You know, yeah. it's a creative path. It's a passion. And then like you realize if you can get things in order, like you can actually make a living at this kind of thing. And it's like finding that balance. And then like, we have kids and throw the whole thing into array, you know, yeah. <laughs> disarray. So that's, yeah. that's definitely just disarray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The array is shattered at yeah. that point. But I think it's interesting <laughs> to think about how like musicians do end up having to strike a balance with those qu- kinds of things, you know, like yeah. you have really great opportunities, which will provide so much stability. But then at the end, like maybe your passion and your creativity and your like drive and your struggle, um, sort of becomes like a little bit clouded. Like you actually, yeah. you don't struggle as much and maybe then those notes come out a little different. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Sometimes I hear that. I mean, in in uh, there's such a wide landscape of Indian classical musicians. And of course, a lot of them, like we know, are like descendants, uh, you know, are children of great ustads and yeah. great yeah. maestros. And so sometimes when I hear some of the younger generation, they don't have that same like depth or fire or kind of, story in what they're playing it and i wonder if the, it's i think like, it comes out in the music as well yeah and i wonder if it's because like their parents struggled a little harder than them and they yeah. Yeah. they just kind of when they're playing a note and going doing a gig it's like they don't have to fight for their bread like I at think, the end of the gig I think you that's know that's probably yeah, true definitely you know? yeah <laughs> i agree with that <laughs> yeah i mean the same goes for us too like uh a lot of these great musicians the music came first yeah wives absolutely. were second children absolutely were second. yeah Whereas we've we turned down stuff. We'll like, yeah, well, I've turned down stuff because yeah, she got offered to go like on a tour on a, in Nairobi. And, yeah, wow. And she turned it down because our kids. We can't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean I think that yeah. stuff is the part of our lives that a lot of people don't realize has changed from mm-hmm. the previous generation of Indian classical musicians. Yeah. You know, like you hear stories about our teachers and these great gurus, and they were like practicing twelve hours a day. It's like well, then that means they didn't talk to their wife. Yeah, like you obviously, you know, didn't spend enough time at the dinner table or cooking a meal for everybody. But it's like at the same time, you know, there's a funny way in which that's like elevated and that's like really um, looked at as this like powerful position. But in a way, sometimes I look at that now and I'm like, you know, I'm glad I spent time with my family. Like I like that and I like that part of my life. And it's kind of like. Am I going to be a human being first, or am I just always yeah. going to be a musician first? You and know? then, yeah. then I think it does show up in our music in different ways too. Mm-hmm. So totally. 
it's an and plus there's a lot of exaggeration in that older generation. There is. I you think so? I practice 23 hours 23 a day. Hours Are you trying to tell day, me yeah. that the Bollywood mentality <laughs> of exaggerating everything has uh, filtered into Indian classical music? <laughs> that was always that, man. Always no, Indian classical is, I think, where it started. <laughs> totally. Man, Maybe with, like, Tansen, like, yeah. lighting himself on fire with Rock Deepak. Oh, yeah, like Deepak. Yeah. Deepak, man, do you see what it did to me? <laughs> Look at these Don't burns. Worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Let me just sing some, what is it, the, the rain one? Malhar. Malhar, yeah. Meg, Malhar, and all that. Or it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that there's so many stories and they just get more and more insane. Like yeah. one I love, right? It's Chinese like, whispers, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's like this story of how the tabla came about, right? I don't know if you've heard yeah, this so one. None of those which stories one? match. Which none one? of them match, but they're all brilliant, right? <laughs> so like this might be a mashup of several, but the one I heard was like, basically this guy was like playing tabla, practicing. Well, he was, it was a single, Pakawaj, right? Yeah. And he wouldn't stop playing. He just like wouldn't stop practicing. His wife comes in and is like, what is your problem? You've been practicing for 12 hours straight. Gets her axe from the outside woodshed and just cuts his, his uh, pakaoj in half, right? And then he picks it up and puts it on like this and is like, oh, thank you, works, baby. Yeah. Like now it's like so much easier to play. <laughs> and then he just That's kept practicing. That's a hilarious story. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine that? Oh, man. And the one I like the best, actually, is two dueling college players. Yeah. You've I've heard, heard that, that one, too. Oh, wait. Yeah. I've not heard this one. What's you, this you one? You tell it, Joss. It's good. It's basically the same story, but the rather well, No. Than the okay, Joss, you're ruining it. The okay. Movie. So basically, <laughs> <laughs> two, two, two college players, right? And they're, like, doing their, like, duel, right? Yeah. Percussionist, just, like, major cockfight, right? So, like, they basically are saying, okay, I'm going to outplay this. Me and Joss, head to head, right? Joss is like... <laughs> goes for it I answer with his composition right and then I play my composition more complicated back and forth back and forth finally just is like you know what like I'm gonna pull out my big composition my hardest composition does it and then I'm like sweating I'm like whoa I don't know if I can do this but I'm gonna try and do it and I do it right and I'm like whoo and then I bust my hardest composition and then just is like okay this is trouble and he like Prays to his guru, he takes a moment, just as he's about to hit, lightning comes down, strikes oh, the, the in the middle, part. and then the, it becomes two pieces, and he oh plays the God. composition effortlessly. I like the story. Oh, see, mine was different. Okay, what's know? yours? My, I didn't know the lightning part. Mine was much more like anticlimactic. Mine was the same thing, as, except the tabla player just got up and hit the other guy's pakawaj, and he couldn't play it. That was like when, I think that's actually probably the real story. <laughs> Oh, okay. Your story is way better. Yeah. So yeah. I you were saying. True. It's very so they're all true. That's all of the, them. All of them all are of them like true. the origin. Yeah, there's like yeah. literally eight different origin I stories. I wish I had an origin up. story that I'd like for the Sindhu. <laughs> I'm sure you could up. make one up. I should make that's, one That's our I tradition. I mean, that's all they've done. And then they say, they say you know, this is 5,000 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly it's like, oh, well, we're an oral tradition, so you can't really uh, prove me wrong. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> prove it. <laughs> what was that Sandeep line when... Oh yeah. So um, the guy Mozart that runs the bar, like, yeah. he was negotiating with I don't I don't I think know. it was a South Bank Center or yeah. a big prestigious center where they present to lots have of high like music. have that festival as part of like of their, their series. Thing. Okay. Cool. Not just like that we're renting out your hall type of situation. Yeah. Right, right, right. More serious. So basically she's like, No, 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 we can't do that, blah, blah, blah. And he just said, Listen, when your Mozart was in his nappies, our music was already two thousand years developed. <laughs> oh, oh boom. My God. <laughs> Oh my God! That is an awesome line. And uh, <laughs> and then she was like, "You know what? You're right." Yeah, yeah she was. Yeah, wow. I don't know was what it, her response was, but 
they are not part of that series. The- yeah. Okay. So I don't know if that has a skill to do with being a booker as much as being like a proper Indian negotiator in the market. You know, That's where you like, you know, you know exactly how much you're going to pay for that. And, you know, oh, my gosh. I mean, it goes to show that like strategies and negotiation are just up for interpretation. No one else could possibly do that than at that moment other than yeah. that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Legend. <laughs> I Legend. Love story. I love yeah. that story too. So why don't you tell us like where, let's start at the beginning. Yeah. What was little Samir doing with like percussion? Well, when I was in my nappies, <laughs> um, no, I actually, you know, got turned on to music kind of through my own devices. Uh, my brother was very into guitar and we were living in New York um, and I was sort of just getting into playing drum set with him. And it was like, you know, the early, late 80s, early 90s. So it was a lot of like, you know, Zeppelin, a lot of like the classics, like, you know, um, I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan and just like he, a lot of guitar driven oh, cool. blues music. And, and so I learned drums first, like in that way, you know, before that I was doing like more like concert band and orchestral, like American school system <laughs> music learning but my earliest memory actually of music is when in elementary school the music teacher basically played us some Bach and it was a Brandenburg concertos which have like a really beautiful trumpet in the lead and it has those sort of like streams of Bach sort of counterpoint and you know and it's just I was completely hypnotized by it you know and I remember going up to her and saying, what, can I have that cassette? Like, and I just, she gave me the cassette and I wore it out. Like the ink was gone, you know, after a while, cause I just would not stop listening to it. And um, yeah, and then I just wanted to kind of study and get into music and it was very hard for me. Western notation, I couldn't really understand. Um, went through trombone, I went through piano, and then I eventually got to drums, and I was like, this just makes a lot of sense to me, and and I felt great about it. It was very different than what other people in my family were doing, even on my mom's side and my dad's side. No one was taking music very seriously, okay. mm-hmm. so that felt really good to me to What did form. you think when you were pursuing that? I think it, it, it evolved. I think the early stages were cute, yeah. then it got to like oh, man, what's he, he doing stop. yeah like w- what's going on like he has something to do today yeah like and then it sort of became like okay now we need to think about how serious he's taking it because i wanted to go to college and get a music degree and that was a very big check for my parents i think like i mean not like a check but like yeah, that yeah. was like that was like a real moment of like we need to take a look at what's going on with our son and we need to kind of think about that but I was like a good kid. I just, I was obsessed with music. Like I, you know, in, in high school, I just hung out in the band room and marching band and carrying around 50 pound set of quads and, you know, doing all that stuff and musical theater. Like I was just into all that stuff. I was into the whole gamut of arts and um, music and how it integrated with that. And so even to the level of putting on a theatrical show, like, and understanding all the elements that go into that, from the costume to the lighting to the stage to the musicians in the pit orchestra, oh, you know? Wow. So I was, I was really, really into that. And then, you know, after co- in college, actually, it was interesting. I kind of was fighting against the administration there. The administration was really conservative Western classical. So it was pianists, vocalists, and orchestral players, like flute and violin. Mm. They didn't really have a strong percussion And where is this? Thing. In San Jose, Santa Clara University. Okay. Pretty conservative apartment. Um, I think they've even gotten more conservative possibly since then. Since um, then, But I think that for me, their conservativeness actually drove me to really p- 
push like what I could do, right? So I didn't see it as something that I had to kind of accept as much as something that I had to overcome. Like I was basically like, I want to study jazz music. I want to get, I want to understand the history of jazz music. And I made them basically give me a, a person on the faculty who could give me a sort of independent research on jazz history. They didn't offer that in the program, right? So, and that person, even him, I had to be like, I want to look at Mingus, I want to look at Duke Ellington, I want to look at all these things. Yeah, I wanted to tell him very specifically what I wanted to check out. And and how did you know to ask like for those things? Just through my own, own curiosity. Research. Yeah, okay. my, I would, I mean, honestly, it all kind of like, my brother was the one who brought John Coltrane's Africa Brass Sessions to the house, right? Mm-hmm. And he brought like, kind of Blue by Miles Davis. Like he brought those recordings to the house. And so that was kind of my earlier taste of jazz music and then I just ran with it I was just like this is something very profound to me I think that the improvisation was a huge draw like I I could hear the impetus for the decision making right like the fact that there was a moving foundation that all the musicians were kind of agreeing on as well as it being a foundation like it was something that was fluid and it was something that kind of could become it could be approached in a various number of ways that was very compelling to me and so in the midst of playing orchestras and symphonies and going on tours to play like Carmino Burana and Brahms I was just into jazz and Mm. basically ready to go into jazz music after I graduated and um, one cool thing in college that I remember is I I basically formed like a 30-person jazz like improvisational group and it was just open to anyone it was just kind of like I wanted to get everyone together and the music department wasn't didn't have quite as much of an open door Hmm. so it ended up being like a lot of different people came in from all different majors and we would just get together and just play like a blues for two hours and people would line up and just improvise and and blow and some didn't even know how to really play on a blues they just knew how to play a little bit so they would just have fun Hmm. and I remember feeling great about that and being like you know what like this is um, a significant moment for all of us, right? Like it wasn't even like a big deal. Like we were at a dive bar, you know, just like lined up and jamming. And it was like me and the bass player. The bass player happened to be Indian. His name was like Sai or something. We would just play like funk grooves for two hours straight and everyone would line up and just blow. Trombone, trumpet, some Western classical majors, music majors who didn't know how to improvise would come and try and improvise and they'd be like freaking out. You know, they don't know how to improvise. Like, so hard thing to do, man, to improvise. You've got to, if you don't know, it is like the hardest thing. It's It's so so scary. scary. And I was realizing that with a lot of the Western classical players I was in the department with is like, they don't improvise and even simple stuff. Like I was like, Oh look, we all know heart and soul. And I was like, let's just make those all minor chords and they were like like you know like they couldn't even like fathom like like that I could do that right it's kind of like that person who's like you can't play Santur on electronic music it's like it's like watch me (laughs) like you're looking at me do it right now so what do you have to say you know you're gonna be like no you can't do what I'm seeing you do you know so (laughs) it's like it's really just about breaking that mold and in a way I think even from early days I was like a little bit (laughs) anti-establishment and I think college kind of pushed me even further for that And then after I graduated, I was just full in jazz music, drum set, like really only. Um, I was like kind of into Indian classical music and I was probably like 22 or 23 at the time when I kind of went to India and I was at my mom's um, in Delhi. I went to my mom's uh, house, which is in a Jan colony, again, super conservative. And I was like, you know, Masi, I just want to like learn a little tabla and just a local teacher is fine. Like I just want to, I didn't want to like, 
embrace that like cultural baggage at that point. You, you know? just wanted to get a taste. I, yeah, I wanted to check it out. And I was also like, I'm a professional jazz drummer. Like, you know, I'm not going to like, I didn't want to be with someone who's going to be like, who are you? What do you do? Like, da, da, da. I just wanted to have like someone who would just treat me like any other student, like a yeah. local teacher. And I think that that has always kind of stuck with me in a way, like just folks, you know, like we don't need to be, we don't need our egos to be that big in order yeah. to really connect. And so it was really great to have a local, you know, player who just teaches kids keyboard and silly instruments. And then he also learned, knows tabla. He sat with me, this like 23 year old guy. And after like the two days with him, he was like, he's like, you're really serious. I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm used to like practicing in the practice room for six hours a day, eight hours a day, you know? And he's like, okay. He's like, I'm going to show you everything I know then. He's like, I'm a double player, you know, Dili um, you know, um, Shafat Ahmed Khan was his uh, guru, awesome. right? Dili. And so for like five days, I sat with him, like four hours with him and four hours on my own and mm. totally just like my arms were like messed up, like just like, feeling the burn. oh, feeling the burn, dude. And so I was, uh, and then I was like really worried that I like messed up my hands, you know? Cause I was like, I gotta go back and do some gigs. Like, yeah. what have I done? And he was just like, you just gotta play through it, you know? And I was <laughs> like, okay. Cool. I was That's like, awesome. okay. And so I played through it and it was, and it worked out. And then, you know, when I was like, as I was leaving, he was just like, you know, he's like, it would make me really happy if I just like heard about you all the way here, like as someone who's a double player. And <laughs> I was cool. like, man, like that is awesome, so you know? Sweet. It was so sweet. What was and, his name? Um, I wish I could remember. I remember his yeah. face. Some, a lot of times when I meditate on like the idea of guru and what it is, like I just let my mind go with different teachers I've had and I often end up at him, you know, which is really That's really cool. nice. Yeah. yeah. And um, such a long time ago. And so then I came back to the Bay Area, right? And I was like, I should find um, some Indian classical musicians because I'm into it now. And Are I was, you listening at this point? Like, do you go to concerts? You know, I wouldn't cassettes? say... It was funny. I had this funny idea of like be, trying to be self-taught. And yeah. I think that that's like a delusion for a lot of Indian classical players who start out that they can be self-taught. Yeah. Um, mainly because it is an oral tradition. That's no joke. Yeah. Like you need to be with people in order to understand how, it, how to communicate. Like yeah. the accent, the flavor of the music, you know, those things are critical. Like, and you can always kind of tell like some musicians who just don't, who don't fully have that like they, they didn't get in front of someone and sit there and work yeah. out the exact gesture. Yeah. Like, where do you bend the baya? Where do you bend the ray when you're going to go? You know, like yeah. how important those little moves are. It's like dance or like painting, yeah. you know, like it's so important and you can't get that from a book or even like a website, you know what I mean? So I think that that really, in the end was something that I just had to get to myself where I had to realize that I have to sit with someone. I really have to ask the questions. I have to be with someone. And I was very lucky to be with people who I respected a lot and I didn't feel, I felt like they knew me more mm -hmm. than, you know, someone who just was like, I'm paying for lessons. Right. right. So I, I think that's also a very interesting thing. I mean, paying for lessons is like how it was done in my life. <laughs> like you yeah, went and got drum lessons, lessons and you yeah. paid. Yeah. yeah. And once you got into Indian classical music, it's like, that's like a very gray area. And it can yeah. be very uncomfortable, actually. Definitely. And there's like there's etiquette, and there's all these things. And so, you know, I um, well, just just to I guess continue a little more, I got back from India, and I went to the Alekbar College, which is an amazing yeah. institution, and um, sweat sat in front of Pandit Swapan Chaudhary, awesome. and uh, he was just kind of like, you know, your technique, your ring finger on your thigh hand is not entirely correct. If you sit with this disciple of mine, he'll get your hand right, and then. Um, you can start attending classes, right? And I was just like, I knew that disciple, and I was like, you know, 
I don't want to sit with that dude. Like <laughs> I've heard him play, like his take is kind of busted, like his tempo is light, like everything was not really like there in my yeah. for my sense. And I'm not like a novice player. Like I know like the difference between Swapanji's sense of light and this guy. And I was like, you know, I don't want to necessarily go in this way. Like I don't want to go institutioned yeah. again, you know? Yeah. So I was very, very lucky that I found like great musicians who were, weren't affiliated with the college, sitar players, sarod players, tabla players, actually a disciple of Tadi Khan Sab, Farhan Qureshi. Oh, I know him. Yeah. yeah. So um, Farhan and a lot of That's the cool. musicians around him who were great, like so serious, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. so serious, but also really like just good folks that aren't that are carrying their own yeah. like line and their own lives you know and so hung out with them a lot and honestly that was the best schooling that was like my graduate degree in Indian classical music it was like I was hanging out with um that community like I would say you know I mean the sitarist in there a good friend Srinivas Reddy he yeah. he uh I would sit with him for upwards of six to eight hours a day I would I would sort of clock into my day job and then just come to his house. <laughs> and, and I was like, let's see how long I can sustain this for. Because <laughs> I was like, I need to just practice. Like, I'm getting schooled by him, you know? And we're both Riyaz every day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then sometimes the late night, right? Every day That's amazing. for four That's years. We did that for four years. I, I thought about it, reflected on it later, and I was like, my gosh, that was four years so almost every day just making sure I was with this dude and practicing Lintal, and he was on me. He was just like, why are you playing Teka like that? And I was like, well, I... <laughs> listen to Alaraka Kansab and, and he's like, you gotta know, like Alaraka Kansab is not playing like the straightest take -up. Like him and Raviji have such a ESP that yeah. like they're just dancing with each other. Yeah. Right. And and I didn't realize that. He's like, you need to listen to Kanai Datta, you need to listen to, you know, me and Shaka the same, you know, like all these like really, really just like kind of like old school mm. cats, you know? And uh, that's when I sort of appreciated the aesthetic of accompanying, right? Because sometimes we listen to these masters on recordings and we think that's how you accompany, but they're at like, they're yeah. in outer space with their abilities, yeah. you know what I mean? And we are here kind of being like, what is the building blocks? Like A, B, C? <laughs> that's amazing that he could tell you like that because not everyone even listens like that. Right. So that's wonderful. It's yeah. great to get that kind of schooling. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that. And then- Four years of it. Yeah, four egg. years. It was like It was like going to school for me. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, and it was actually great because I was with uh, Srini's guru, who's uh, Partha Chatterjee, mm. who's great. And he is con he's like considered one of the kind of only disciples of Pandit Nikhil Banerjee, right? Because Pandit Nikhil Banerjee didn't want to carry a guru mantle with him. Yeah. So uh, like Partha Chatterjee lived with Nikhil Banerjee like the last like, I don't know, 20 years of his life, maybe mm. more, something like that. And um, so that like... I don't know, like just to me, I still got a really great perspective on Indian classical music and the Guru Shishir relationship and how it, the depth is achieved without it being something that I had to personally kind of like sign over to, right? Because I think inside me, there's a bit of a struggle with like how these power dynamics play. I mean, I think about this stuff socially a lot too, you know, like Guru Bandana, it's like, you know, that's just like you're marrying your guru, you yeah, know? And it's definitely. like, I don't know. My parents are also like, what? Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, and I'm also kind of like, what? You know? So I, I think it's just, it's something that I have a huge amount of respect for, but it's something that I've also just sort of... Seems foreign. A little bit foreign yeah. because it's like, I think I'm, I've come out of a different story. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, even though, I, like, I've sat with Zakirji, you know, and like for a few years for his like once a week 
that he does in Northern California. Yes. I was also like, I, I, this does not feel right to me. Like one week out of the year. And, and then it's like a lot of the people there, it's like such a mark of pride that they're a disciple of Zakirji. Yeah. And I was like, what are these people really carrying here? Are they carrying their music with them? Or are they carrying, you know, a lineage that they're sort of a flag of some kind, right. you know? And, and so, I don't know, my own mind goes to those things, you know? And I think about like the, the sort of social implications and the way that um, even patriarchy and the way that power dynamics have played out over generations. And yeah. I kind of believe that we're in a different place and being growing up in America and questioning things and being critical of the things that people take for granted as far as like how, what is guru, um, you know, dakshina? I think that's how it's, that's when you pay, right? Yeah. Like there's the story of dronacharya and, oh, yeah. and eklavya, right? Yeah. You heard that? Yeah. I know the eklavya one. Yeah, so like he basically is, a, eklavya is a great archer, yeah. right? Yeah. But he asked dronacharya, this is in the Mahabharata for all of you out there. Um, Mahabharat. <laughs> if you've seen the 70s television show. I grew um, up on that. My love that stuff. The 70s television show was the marker for when you could go to the airport with minimum traffic. <laughs> right? Like you could get across town with minimum traffic when the Mahabharata television show. My, my mom watched that all the time. Oh I was my like, God. what is going on? Why is there so many arrows? Why is there a big... Why is on his head? Oh my God. <laughs> and I thought it was real because I was so young. I was like, how did... That was, was the so one long Hindi, ago. I couldn't they, understand that at all. It was like so should the Hindi. I was like, okay, I don't yeah, know I what didn't they're understand saying. it either. But I don't know why I just sat there because maybe my mom was just. I was like, I don't know what. To, I, don't know. <laughs> I only everyone is gathered around there. the TV. Yeah. Oh, you should see yeah. it. It's classic. <laughs> anyway, the story of Ekalavya is that um, Drona is like the Pandavas' guru, right? The 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 big shots, right? Yeah. No, no. Am I wrong about that? No, no, he's right. Yeah. Arjuna yeah, yeah. and Bhim, all those yeah, guys, their yeah, guru yeah. is Dronacharya, right? He's like a badass. He's yeah. a total badass, right? Yeah. And so then this guy, Eklavya, this young kid, says, Drona, I, I want to study with you. Drona's like, I can't take any disciples. Arjuna is my archer disciple. And so Eklavya goes into the forest and builds a builds a little statue yeah, of, of Drona and does, you know, Guru, guru Darshan and he like worships the image of Drona. And then word gets out, or Drona finds that like there's this amazing archer that was able to do incredible things. Like he was able to make a dog go quiet by shooting arrows in its mouth without killing it, mm. right? Like just things that are like superhuman. So Drona's like, "Who is this archer?" And then they find out that it's this this kid, Eglavia. And Drona says, "Who's your guru?" And he says, I, "You're my guru, yeah. Dronacharya." And he says, "Well." I've never seen him before. I've never seen him before. And he's like, there's my stat, there's a statue I make of you, you know, you're my guru. And he's like, well, then you have to give me guru dakshina. And he makes him cut off his thumb. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so like, I don't know, but that is not too far off, I think, from sometimes how it feels. From sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I, it needs to, I think it needs to change nowadays. I, that, that life is not what this society is about now. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I think like organizations like Raga Massive and what you guys are doing is like so important because it, it sort of draws light to how far gone some of these things are, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll get into Raga Massive. Before, yeah. Um, but like, so I'm conflicted about some of this, right? Yeah. Because, uh, you have I, a great guru. I, I know, but, um, it's, it's like uh, I I don't I don't I couldn't envision like playing at the level that I played at if I like went to him every Monday and gave him his fee right like and 
I think it's because I developed, and maybe this isn't like Guru Shishya or whatever. I don't know what the word for it is. Mm-hmm. I developed a personal like bond. Yeah. And my best lessons, and Kamaljit has like said, like had experiences but he's like, like this he's too. not like a guru though. He's like, he's like a family member. Cause yeah, so I'm also so, in a different boat. so lucky that, that my, my dad yeah, and your him dad were is like friends before I was born. And I think that is the so thing. It's like, my, a gray area. Like, yeah, that's yeah. so real. So my best lessons yeah. are at Carl's Jr. or at Denny's <laughs> or on the drive home yeah. like uh, from a concert. Yeah. Or like it's because of that personal bond. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, what is that? So I know that the Guru Shishya relationship has been abused. Like, I mean, terribly. both exist. There's a yeah. bunch right. of disciples who don't have that. Yeah. Right. But they are also like, this is my guru. Yeah. yeah. And and it's not like he's not, but it's just that it's like kind of trying to oversimplify maybe something that is actually a bit yeah, more it's complicated. complicated. It's a very complicated relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what the word is. I've had both. So I grew up. Having lessons every week with my uh, my mom, my got me into music that she don't really sing. So every week we'd go have a lesson. Here's Ragaman, here's a couple of dance, go practice it. Yeah. Done those dance? No? Okay, just practice it. Come back again. Oh, you did another one? Okay, let's go to the Antarana. So right. that's what I grew up on. But mm-hmm. then I also became a shagird of a disciple of uh, Pandit Shiv Kumar Sharma, which is mm-hmm. mind blowingly awesome. Yeah. And that was very different because that was a you go there, you. So can everything he got to give you, you don't go every week. I see him like once a year if I'm lucky. Yeah. Or yeah. if he comes to my and country. And now that we have two kids, yeah. it's even harder. Yeah. I know. Yeah, but I then know. I also have the, the true um, gems that he gives me. And I'm like, oh, I've got to hold on to this stuff. And, yeah. and the relationship is much more different than I had with my, and, my uncle. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I see both sides. There's good things yeah. and bad things with both. And totally. then there's also... There's a bit of the iklava in both of us. Yeah, absolutely. That, like we, Shivji and Astaji are, are in our lives every hour. Yeah. Like not yeah. even every day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like there's, they go through our mind, right? All the time. Like yeah. you have stuff on your phone all the time. Yeah. I have stuff on my phone all the time. Yeah. yeah they're and there's a bit of iklava there too. Mm-hmm. Or iklava, I don't know how to pronounce it. Love ya. Love ya. Okay. Iklava. The reason I think I'm pronouncing it wrong is because, so somebody from India wrote uh, to my Astaji they sent him a letter written in oh, Hindi. Oh, actually, somebody actually said that, right? Yeah, somebody oh, re- sent wow. him a... It was this, like, giant, you know, two-page letter, yeah. handwritten in Hindi. You know, yeah. Obviously, my Ustaji reads Urdu. Oh. So he had to go find somebody to translate. He's like, what does this say? And Ustaji even said, like, I let it sit for, like, a while. Like, wow. I, I did, and then I picked it up. I was fine. Somebody came over. I was like, oh, you speak Hindi, or you can read Hindi. Can you read this for me? And it was this, that, like... like I've never met you and I probably never will. Like, I don't have money and blah, blah, blah. But you are my guru. Wow. And, like, I have a picture of you and yeah. you are my guru. And then he told the... Ik love you. Wow. I mean, I think those are... I think those are profound experiences for, yeah. for students and people who are trying to connect with music. Right. And I would never dismiss that as, like, something that is, like, wrong or trivial or mm-hmm. shallow in any way, right? I mean, for me, like... I feel like I heard so much about guru when I was trying to learn this. You know, you need to find a guru. When the students write, the guru will come, you know. And um, I feel like, you know, finding a Pandit Nindo Chatterjee was a very incredible moment for me. Like, mm. that felt, like, very magical. Like, he was um, kind of through a logical progression of people that I knew at the time. I realized, like, wow, I could study with him. I could meet him, and I could see what he's like. And I really, really loved it, you know? And I think that to this day, it's just hard to 
kind of like make it work in the same way as like some other peers that I have work. You know, they, a lot of people I know can go to India every year. They can yeah. spend two or three months. Yeah, we and then yeah. Guruji will come to Brooklyn for like two weeks yeah. in one year. And Maybe. it's like, Maybe. yeah, and that's like in the school year. And so it's like so impossible, you know, even though it's like, a 15 minute drive it's like it's like it's like nerve-wracking like 11 o'clock at night and he's like you can come now i'm like oh my gosh if i only could yeah. come over like you know and and do that and so it's yeah, really so when, I, when i learned there was so Astaji would come to california or and then when i got into my teens i would go see him somewhere wherever he was yeah. um that could be like toronto or chicago or new jersey or yeah. texas like i've flown like quite a bit of places to see him yeah um but there's a i i i went all in yeah if 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 uh he said come at like 1 a.m and i have like an exam at 6 a.m or like uh, that i gotta get up for mm -hmm. i went yeah i took the b instead of the a and like right i went all in um like it's so but that's interesting. hard it is and i think that for and me and now and now i can't so i think yeah. last year was uh was it last year or was it maybe the year before? I'm 39. Or th I'm going to be 39 in August. Um, I think last year or the year before was year. the first time that, that I said, Ustadji, I've got to go home. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never left a room until he said, Jacinda, don't you have a school tomorrow? Or don't you have work tomorrow? Like, yeah. you should go. Yeah. Until I didn't leave until that was said. And I didn't say, like, hey, I got to go. Like, I got right. to go to work tomorrow. Right, right. And I think last year was the first, and it was my kids that like, I know that they get up at Six. very early and yeah. they need me the next day. And then I also do work and then I can't do it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I felt so guilty <laughs> and it's this yeah. weird relationship that totally do who cares that you have to like, that's <laughs> normal that you have to go. Yeah. Exactly. You're not even, and like a lot of times, like we're not talking about music. Mm -hmm. yeah, we were watching the news. Right. Yeah, yeah. And like, he's like, what's Trump saying now? And I got to like translate or whatever. And like, uh, it's not even musical, but that's that weird relationship. And totally. Some of it, sometimes it is like. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting for me. I, I feel like I made those choices where I put my life on pause for, for like music. I kind of remember doing that around communities of, of musicians. Yeah. Like, like your story with In the Bay. Yeah, like when I was in college and yeah. that kind of thing. And then even like later, like the the musicians that I played with, like the bands that I played with and those groups where there was such a strong sense of brotherhood and a sense of this is a family because we're playing music together and we have these experiences of making music and, and going to those places, you know, that those really, really transformative musical experiences that happen. Those are the things that I've always gravitated towards like like kind of like putting yeah. those above other things i'll be like i'm gonna stay up all night because i know that this group is counting on me to sort to of do like this a form of community service. yeah i would say the community is kind of more what Which i makes... have valued above like the personal right. thing like like if one person is able to betray the trust of, of a member of my community but not me i'll be more likely to think about my community and say this, the value of this team has been maybe affected and I need to rethink what I think about this individual person, for example, yeah. you know, or like if someone is like manipulating members of a, of a, of a group, 
It's like, do we allow ourselves to be fragmented by, by a powerful person, by a gig, or by a guru, like whatever it might be, yeah. like some sort of value that people yeah. perceive. Gigs is actually probably the, the biggest culprit, right? It's like, there's such an inherent like competitiveness and a predatory nature in being a freelance musician. People don't even realize that they're fragmenting the community yeah. you know, by, by not realizing we're all kind of in the same team. So Absolutely. that, what you just said is the number one reason we started this word and uh it, when we we're just sitting on the couch and talking to people like it's led to so many great conversations and a sense of community yeah. Yeah. that we're all in this together yeah. and there's been legitimate like uh what's the word financial benefit in terms yeah. of we, we got together like the few of us musicians and we just said like we started talking openly about what we charge yeah and then they're like Huge. well let's just bump it up and so we bumped it up and then and everyone. there's there's that's you know right. and we bumped it up and it helped all everyone, of us yeah. that's right and this is just with like we're only this is only like 14 or 15 episodes yeah. and yeah like the that's like one of and, the strongest and, moves like i mean cuz by by bringing our community of like independent freelance people together to realize that we all are actually defining our industry standards mm. right like if we have an yeah. industry standard that's like 50 bucks is is okay there are people who take it for 50 bucks take a gig for 50 bucks those people have very different needs in their life than someone who has two kids is yeah. renting is like has a car you guys a, are in new york man yeah oh, it's like a million dollars a foot <laughs> <laughs> i mean the great thing is like we did that too like i remember the first time that a festival basically approached a couple of members of our community and they approached me with one contract and, and they approached another yeah. person with a different contract. I basically was like, this contract is unacceptable. The other person got a different deal and they're like, we we're okay with that. When we learned that, I said, hey, you know, it's come to my attention that a colleague of mine is, has a similar, has this kind of arrangement with you. We would be willing to accept that arrangement. And they were like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, we'll give you the same arrangement as someone else. Yeah. And it was like much more better terms. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't have known that if yeah, that communication Yeah, so I think talking there. about everything and just being open and realize we're all in this together. Exactly. So well, we got a gig in, in Canada. Yeah. And like they gave us an offer. I immediately texted the people that played there last year. And I said, yeah. what'd you guys get? Yeah. And then and it wasn't, and I remember the old jazz would have been like, be that's scary. such an yeah. awkward question. You're yeah. not supposed to talk about money. That's disrespectful. That's mm -hmm. rude. Blah, 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 blah. I, I just texted and he replied within like three seconds. Yeah. He's like, this is what we got. And he's like, this is the hotel we stayed at. And yeah. then they covered flights, but they didn't yeah. cover this. And I'm like, okay, perfect. perfect. We'll so that. then I went back because the offer that they sent us was, much, was much one lower. quarter of what yeah. they wow. paid last year. Yeah. And I realized that they were just, they wanted to start low so that we could meet in the high. Whereas, mm -hmm. I think the old me, had they I not texted him, like, okay. I would have just been like, well, it's Canada. They're paying for flights. And like, okay, we can just we'll take, take it. Yeah, yeah, we'll just take it. Yeah. So true. And You're 100% right. It's and, like gives us power. Yeah. And it yeah. gives us an ability we, to like, we were able our... to return the favor to them. Yeah. Like to this person yeah. uh, on another gig. Totally. And it just, it worked. I mean, I think it's, it's actually kind of very interesting to think about what the implicit kind of MO is for an Indian classical or any freelance musician. It's that you are alone you're a lone wolf mm. and like you don't have a community of people like that like we have to take that initiative to actually educate our community to say yeah. that if we can communicate if we can all get on the same page we can have a better life like we can have a more stable yeah. career we can make livings for ourselves a little easier and the cool thing about that is that reinforces the idea that this is a viable 
and fruitful place to dedicate your life, yeah. you know, your life's work. And I think then you get back to really early my life where I felt like I had to help my folks understand that, you know, they yeah. didn't, they did not look at having a music career as something that they understood. And there's so many reasons why I think that is understandable that they didn't get it, you know, yeah. like there's no steady paycheck. There's no, you know, sense of this. I can plan for this month's expenses yeah. this way. It's like, you know, after four weeks of no gigs, it's like, I'll get a one gig, which will be more money than I've made in two months. Right. Yeah. So it's like, how, how do you reprogram a sense of job security in that right. situation? Right. And also, how do you teach colleagues like musicians the kind of responsibility to be able to say, this is something that someone else has experience with. You can talk to someone else in the community and know that if you're stressed out for a month of financial tightness, you know, there's going to be opportunities that come. Sometimes think two months, think three months in advance. Don't think month to month. And there's so many things in our society that don't follow that. Everything is built around a month yeah, of accounting, exactly. right? Well, yeah. for musicians and artists, it really doesn't go month to month. And I think that is just something we all take as our personal struggle. Say, how am I going to carve out a space for myself with a living in this, you know? Yeah. And how can I make sure I make my month, rent every month? I can make my food bills every month, right? But then it's like, your gig money is coming in six weeks after the gig. You have to keep oh, track of everything. Dude. You know what I mean? So we many things. A, we just had some money. We Chasing a, money is so, so hard. Stressful. I hate and it. Awkward. Totally. If you don't get that check the day of the gig, <laughs> you may never get it. Yeah, because it, yeah. they're now like as organizers, they've you know they put a lot of effort into their event, event and they're, they're tired. Done, yeah, like yeah. they're stressed out. Oh yeah. And so, I've yeah. been in the situations yeah. with jazz uh, musicians and jazz festivals too, where you know, the check bounces and, yeah. and the festival person are just like, yep, this festival actually just is bankrupt. And, you know, and then there's all these musicians who are suddenly like, we need to do a class action thing. Like there's five acts who's all, and then it's like, well, are we going to spend a year and a half or two years fighting for we'll this? Just one? take the loss. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, really messed up situation. And I think that the funny thing also is that I think all that contributes to a sense of competitiveness in our, in our industry, yeah. you know, and, and when you have moves like having a podcast where people realize that there is a sense of community, you know, and it's actually yeah. a very wide reaching, you know, community. It can be anywhere that the internet can go, right? Yeah. You can find that community and you can communicate and have solidarity with people who are also struggling in a similar way. Right. Yeah. So let's switch because we're running a little low on time and I want to talk about this a lot. Yeah. Brooklyn Raga Massive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like this is, uh, you put together musicians and like you have this whole collective of thing uh, of great artists and talent. And how are you guys not ripping each other's heads off? Like, <laughs> where are the fights? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, it's, um, it's not easy. I, I've like, I feel very, very lucky that I've been part of this community, that I am part of that community. You, you, you helped start it? Or? I helped start it okay. with like, you know, maybe four or five, half a dozen other people. It really was about, um, the moment being right. So there was that moment in time, like in 2000, like 2010, I guess, 2009, uh -huh. um, where... So you guys are almost 10 years old? Let me think for a second. Yeah. No, actually, it's more like 2011. We're about, we're about eight years old. Okay. Um, because I'm thinking when my daughter was born. It was right around that time. So 
basically like we were all hanging out it's new york right so there's so many great musicians it's very different from like a lot of other parts of the country yeah so i think and easy to so, get to yeah your geography to also probably helps so helpful. there's a critical mass of venues yeah. of places that want i think to put that's it so difficult here to do anything like that because yeah. everything's just spread apart so yeah, much. totally there's so many other. factors right yeah. like i don't own a car and um there's a few people in our collective who don't own cars quite a few you actually and um yeah and i think that that's part of what brought us to New York, right? I think that's, that's just kind of a given. It's like all those people came to New York despite the winters and despite the, you know, despite the rent. pain and the rent <laughs> and, you know, everything. They, they still decided to, to commit their time to New York. And so once you realize that there's a community of Indian classical musicians and people who just really love Indian classical music, that was a very cool community to find. And there was no Raga Massive then. It was just like we were hanging out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, just to like mention some of the people, Neil Morgai, Arun Ramamurthy, Eric Frazier, Aaron Hansen, um, you know, and then Jay Gandhi, then Abhik Mukherjee, Samarth Nagarkar, right. like, you know, and then another wave, like Aaron Schrag and David Ellenbogen, like, you know, just really like, it continued to sort of branch out and, and draw in people who were, I think that it resonated in different ways for different people. Some people just really were about Indian classical music, right? And so wait, what, what is happening when, like, so you, all the names you mentioned, you guys are just hanging out, like, or wh- where are you? Yeah, we would just hang out and, and jam. jam, and, like, we'd be and like, oh, we're having a barbecue, come on over. Like, we would all just oh. come over and hang out. We'd, like, talk about Indian music, just, like, just chat, like, and, I mean, the arguments were great. It was, like... <laughs> You know, Vilayat Kansab or Ravi Shankar. Yeah. Remember, they had a rivalry. Like, what was the rivalry like? Who knows the stories? <laughs> yeah, like that was our conversations. You know, and so that's of, awesome. Yeah, I it like was that. awesome. Yeah. It was at bars. It was just like very casual, and and then I think that we started thinking to ourselves, like, you know, we should just be playing music, and we should create a space for ourselves where we can play Indian classical music when we're on a set break. It's not like they're putting on some other music on the system. It's Indian classical music on the system mm. until we play again. You know. And and we sort of started being like, you know, we as Indian classical musicians, like any new person, like we just met today, we can play together. Of course. Call the rag, call the tal, we can play together. Yeah. That was so similar to the jazz scene in New York, where you just call a jazz standard and you can play together, right? So that was a really cool connection, I think, that Raga Massive made, where like we can make a weekly gathering about Indian classical music, and it can be a session where people can meet each other, people can hand their business card to someone else, someone who's just coming to New York for a couple of days to play some Indian classical show, they can pop over to our thing and meet a bunch of people who are down with Indian classical music, right? That's awesome. So, so that was the idea of having like a jam session around Indian music, and just have it be a casual hang. No one has to come in cortas. No one has to worry about drinking a beer on stage. You know, like mm. it was very like it was just much more chill. Like we were able to shed a lot of the sort of con- contextual things that would maybe make people feel like they need to come to the table with some knowledge, or maybe would turn people off. You know, yeah. mm. even simple things like don't point your feet at the stage. It's like. Sure, like if we're going to do a traditional concert in a traditional concert hall, we're going to tell you not to point your feet at the stage. But if we're at a bar or if we're at some place and you're just like chilling and you're laying down on your back because you're listening to the music, we're not going to harsh you. You know what I mean? (laughs) Maybe someone will tell you at the end, hey, just so you know, the, the cultural kind of context here is not to point feet. Like, you know, it's really like... Unlike so you someone do- like maybe, you know, Pandit Jasraj, who right. would like just shut down the concert, like, you know, if you if you do something like that, right? Yeah. So like that that scope 
rather than having it go more towards like the hardcore conservative, where it's like you're gonna like make sure people like stay in line versus being like, you know what? Yeah. Let's shed all those preconceived notions, come as you are. Which by the way the is music. I think a major con- all of the Indian classical music organizations are dying. <laughs> are are dying in America. Because of when I grew up in major. my like, you know, when I'm from you know five to eighteen or twenty, I'd say, the Indian classical music they were big. Yeah. So, like or, music circle was putting on shows with like three thousand people and like they were big. Yeah. And that was the thing to do. And like people were donating money and stuff that weren't even into the music, but because it was the thing to do, it was the thing to do. Yeah. And but they had these strict conservative policies mm-hmm. and like and then when the guy that's running it is no not, you know, he started when he was thirty, but then he became fifty five and sixty. Yeah. And then he's like talking down to the eighteen year olds. Right. It's not gonna work. Totally not. And exactly. then I think that's the death of that's the death of it. Like mm-hmm. I mean, I think in the process of trying to like classicalize something or make it like a fine art, like you sort of lose sight of the fact that this is really folk music, right? Like so, like especially something like Santur, you know what I mean? Like, like it is, it just resonates at such a visceral level, like for people, you know, it's like you don't want to have it be about the clothes or about how you sit or anything, right? Like if you really want it to hit people, you have to be able to kind of meet them halfway. Yeah. Yeah. And and in the States, like, that's just like knowing young people, knowing younger people, right? Like, to be able to say, and that's, I think, what Raga Massive does is, like, we think about it. We're like, what what would we want to see? What would our friends want to see, right? How can we get the, the biggest number of people to come out and still have it be legit Indian classical music, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that, that like respect towards Indian classical music is kind of there, but there's also a little bit of a acknowledgement of like an irreverence that's natural with, yeah. with like being young and being from the States yeah. and, and also just like being a creative musician, like in a way as an artist, you have to be a little bit irreverent to push the envelope, right? To be able to break out of the box, there has to be a measure of just like, you know, saying, fuck it, you know, and go for it and have people look at you and be like, hey, you can't do that. You can't play something with everybody that (laughs) every big musician ever made it. That's what they did. That's what they did. Yeah. Shivji was like, Shivji "F you like, guys, I'm playing Santur." <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Ravi Shankar Ji no. was like, "I'm, I'm, I'm doing this when my tabla player is going to play with me. He's not yeah. going to sit off to the side. Like, exactly, we're, we're going to crank it up. Right, right. Like, and, and, but that's also very Amir interesting. Con- that's an interesting parallel Amir because, concept. like, um, to to have there be a pushing of the envelope musically, right, where you say Ravi Ji and Alaraka Kansab are going to change the format of how they present the music a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's funny to hear the to hear the some of the critique that Raga Massive gets, right? So like to actually have us do a non-Indian classical piece, right? But have it be done by classical Indian instruments, right? So for example, I don't know if you've heard of Terry Riley. Yeah, yeah. of course. So Terry Riley's in C, right? Which is a very epic minimalist piece, which awesome. is a funny oxymoron actually. But like it's basically kind of like little cells, 52, 53 little cells that everyone in the ensemble goes through kind of at their own rate, right? So the, so the piece itself has a totally unique arc every time, but everyone generally follows a similar sort of collection of melodic cells. And, you know, to, to do that with Indian music is awesome because mm. Terry Riley was into Indian music in a very major way. Very so. beautiful. So, yeah, and he, his compositions are very cool. Yeah. And, yeah. 
there's a lot of people in Indian classical music who would not necessarily see that as contributing towards Indian classical music, right? People would see that as like some sort of departure from Indian classical music. But when I talk to my dad, let's say, who doesn't know Indian classical music, but identifies as Indian, loves Indian music, and considers himself a lover of Indian classical music. He's not a musician per se, right? He hears that and he gets the connection. He hears the Indian music and the minimalist American Terry Riley idea, right? Yeah. For him, those two are having a dialogue in a sphere that resonates with Indian music, right? So it's interesting to think about how in one side you're expanding what Indian music can do or can mean or how it can reach people through essentially a dialogue with other kinds of music, right? Which is sort of what Ravi G did too. Like Ravi yeah. G was like a great ambassador of music. He collaborated with so many people. So many people and yeah. by doing that, he really expanded what Indian classical music can mean to people, right? And it's not like you have to be in the 100% camp of, you know, pure rag, pure tal, and only within that can you expand the meaning. Yeah. Indian Even music. something somebody like Nusrat Fateli Khan Saab, he did so many collaborations. Yeah. yeah. And it, you don't know anyone that doesn't know Nusrat Fateli Khan. Exactly. He played in Walmart, he played in all these amazing places mm -hmm. and just uh, spread. It is quality, it is classical music. That's but right. Of you can bop your head to it. Right. And all <laughs> you're doing is bringing it to somebody who's kind of like ready for it, you exactly, know? Yeah. Even if in a group of 100 people. If there's one person in there who hears that santur or hears Nusratji's voice and is like, that does it, right? They're yeah. suddenly like up, they're awake, they get it, right? Like that is such a profound thing. And of even course. one out of 100 people, if that can happen, that is for Indian music, right? That has yeah. created a person who uh, uh, like has felt Indian music. Yeah. I also find that like the, the conservative classical purists, we can call them, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> like at all. Also, oh, watch probably it, just watch it. Middle tier, right? <laughs> yeah, like so. For example, I mean, we won't say his name, but somebody came up to me and said, "Thadi Khanzab's whenever he plays classical, it's really, really just light music." Light music, and we're looking at cheech, and I and, he, and I said, and I said, like, thank you know, thanks for being straight up about it with me, right? Rather than like talking about my back. But I said, can you show me, right? Like, because everything's on YouTube these days. I was like, can you pull it up? So he pulls up something. And like Ustaji's like accompanying a, a well-known uh, Sarangi player, and then he he's play, he put forwards it to his solo, and he's like playing. I remember the exact bowl. It's like so he's playing in twelfths of beats, and it's like you know, it's like to me, it's a pure classical. The high that was like a different volta thing, and I go, okay, can you put on a tabla player that you think is playing doing classical, right? And like this was a gamble that I took, and mm -hmm. he put somebody on. Right, I'm not gonna get into names, but like he put it on because I have respect for this double player too. But the clip that he put on was a rilla. and I said, and it was like then you double it, right? What child is that? And I said, I said that sounds like light garva to me. Yeah, totally. And the other thing sounded classical to me. Yeah. He's like, well, let me let me get another one. Let me and then, and then he's yeah. like, let me get another one. So <laughs> then he put a different double player, and we're talking like you know the top five double players. Sure. Involved. He put a different double player, and like I'm two for two now because it's another rilla. <laughs> and I go, dude, and I said, okay, find another one of Ustadji's, and then like but with classical. And I said, like, here's what you guys don't get. Like Ustadji separates his light and 
classical. Completely. When he plays his light, it'll be afterwards, just like when she plays like Bahari, Bahari or Badbi yeah. or Bidu right. or whatever. Yeah. And it'll be after. Yeah. And I said during, it's like he's not going to do it. Right. And, and then he's like, oh. So I was like, <laughs> and then that's just one example of countless in like, you know, these classical purists that will say like, oh, Naladri played like a ga when he shouldn't have played a ga. You're right. like, dude, what are you talking about? No, You're it's wrong. so funny. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like it cracks me up even yeah. more when you when we're like pushing almost like when we're yeah. actually doing something really creative mm. and then like the classical purists are like nitpicking away at it. You know, yeah. it's like it's like let just chill. Like we, yeah. I know how to play a proper high. Like yeah. I yeah. know when this You're just dog is trying. Yeah, we're so, doing something more creative here. Like just, I follow stand up <laughs> comedy a lot, and yeah. then uh, there was this comedian that I loved. His name was Patrice O'Neill, and he um, was on an argument with somebody about a jokes being offensive, or like that this was an offensive joke. And he yeah. said, "What you don't realize <clears throat> is that a good joke and a bad joke." start at the same place yeah. and like have the same development arc and at the end it may not work where it works yeah you there's nothing different you can do mm -hmm. so nobody none of us go into a studio and we're like dude i'm gonna totally mess with like people and like just make <laughs> the worst music today and like i'm gonna make this track suck yeah right like nobody yeah. goes into a studio to do that no. you, you all go like oh we have Let this idea oh yeah. like oh i'm sure you guys are like oh we can do some tour but like no max zt is here let's use his like hammer dulcimer and mm -hmm. like let's see if we can do something and like yeah i just threw his name out because yeah, yeah. he's a friend of ours no totally and, like, um, and i think you're totally right right like nobody for us to be open to that we don't yeah we don't go into a thing like going like we're, we're trying to break rules. You're, we're, all we're doing, whether being like creative. we're just being creative. So yeah. whether she's going to do like a rag, like, I don't know, Puriya Tanashri a lot, mm -hmm. or she's like, oh, I got to do this like hip hop track. Right. It's the same process. Yeah. yeah. It's the it's same. All coming from the same place. Yeah. Like, she has to tune her sadur. She's got to like sit, turn the mics on. She's totally. got to do the same. It's. Yeah. I mean, yeah. for me, for me personally, there's been like a really interesting sort of end of the story to this day, I guess I should say, where I'm kind of bringing together drum set and tabla into a hybrid kit. So I'll have like a regular drum set set up with like hi-hat, bass drum, and the drum kit. And then I'll put a daya on the right side of my seat and a baya on the left side of my feet. So I can oh, just cool. drop my hands to my sides and I can play like that. So it's like a split hand sort of, I mean like not split hand, split hand actually means something specific for percussion as well. Okay. But it's like one arm here, one arm here. It's not like the, the yeah. tabla in front of me. <clears throat> and I remember it taking a long time for me to like sort of find a way, like what is it I'm looking for here, right? Like, like do I really want to do this? This is extremely hard what I'm trying to do. Why am I doing this, right? Like, yeah. um, but I felt, first of all, very, very encouraged by some critical musicians who I have so much respect for, right? Like non-Indian classical musicians, jazz musicians mm. who who to me, they reinforce that idea, which you see in a lot of jazz musicians, which is that you can jump, like you just jump, you know, and say like Wayne Shorter says, like, I dare you, I dare you. That's jazz music, right? right. So like you can kind of do anything if you can tap into that essence, right? And in that way, it's very much like Indian classical music, right? Because despite the ascending and the descending scale and all the swaras and any tihai or any mukra, if you just play those few notes that has the, the pakad phrase, those specific lines, yeah. Yeah. that's it. You're done. You know, that, that's like something that 
a child who's six years old, if they learn that phrase yeah. compared yeah. to a 50 year old person who's been playing and never learned the phrase, yeah. that kid will get to it quicker than the, than the older person. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like to get to that essential with jazz music, any tool is available. Any tool you can think of will get you there, right? So for me, it was like the tabla was something I was really, really getting inside me, right? Drum set, I came back to drum set and thinking of it in a completely different way, right? Like, I actually kind of now, I, I love splitting my drum set and my tabla. So like my right hand will be on a daya, but my left hand will be on the drums, mm. right? And so I can actually play a tabla bowl like, you know, and I'll do all like the, the left, left hand bowls will be like on the snare drum and the right hand bowls will be on the daya. Or I'll switch them and my left hand bowls will be on the baya and my right hand will be on a cymbal. That's pretty cool. So it's taken years of like, trusting the trusting the that there is some sort of like music there that i know is there right and despite like so many people being like you're compromising your tabla sound or you're compromising your drum set sound it's like no like they're both this is a sound like them both yeah. together yeah. and i of course i practice drum set by itself i practice tabla by itself very seriously like the two streams are very deep you know mm. but there is this place where I can kind of like bring them both together and really experiment and take big risks. Um, and usually I save that for very spontaneous, free improvisational settings, like real jazz settings where there's no um, chart necessarily. And it's just like right. wide open. So I really do believe in that risk taking, you know, I think yeah, even, risk taking is, is a yeah. major. That's how the music is going to grow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's a less that's a word that Maya Stad uses a lot and yeah. has Mine told too. us and, and, and hers, too. Is like take risks, take yeah. Risks yeah. and enjoy. Yeah, so, I think people respond to that. I know we're wrapping up. Yeah. But I'm just going to keep talking, Jess. Yeah, so we should probably wrap up. I mean, we can keep talking for the podcast, but let me just uh, give you a chance to, like, go ahead and spit out your social media. Yeah, so my website is um, samirgupta.com. S A M E E R G U P T A dot com. Um, a lot of my social media handles are under Dubla Jazz. So Instagram slash Dubla Jazz, Twitter slash Dubla Jazz, and Facebook slash Dubla Jazz. Yeah, everybody should uh, check Samir out. He's an amazing musician, and as we're finding out, a tremendous person. <laughs> um, we can keep talking forever, but let me just wrap up the Dash, dash Radio. radio yeah. yeah, with Ruckus Avenue Radio. You guys can find us at absolutefocus.co, and all our social media stuff like will be from there. And also, if you can throw us some, some support on uh, patreon.com slash absolutefocus, that'd be great. Thanks, guys.